This is the Press Box. We were talking about humanity, which starts with birth and ends with death. With Grady and Bischoff. True. All life ends in death, which we, as a species, are cursed with knowing, resulting in... something. Featuring Adam Candy. This is really not my field. On ESPN Las Vegas. Dude, shout out to a simpler time in America when all of us were captivated by the California Raisins. All right, here we go. It's a Friday, end of the week. Ed, Adam Candy, Jared running the show, Tyler off today. Uh, how are you, Adam? Oh, it's April, man. I mean, yeah. As good of a sports month as it gets. I'm ready to go. Uh, before we get to the first bite, uh, I need your quick response on Libby Schaff. Um, um, I don't really understand why we're doing this with Libby Schaff. <laughs> I don't understand why the gross desert thing even happened. Like, you are not talking about the most picturesque place in the world that we're fighting over here, right? Like, Drew? the Oakland Hills can be lovely, and there are great parts of the Bay Area, but what we're comparing right is wherever you would put the A's ballpark in Vegas, which is going to be better than dropping a ballpark into some sh- into a shipping area. Okay. In <laughs> Whew, my heart jumped into my chest, Adam. I thought you were going to go with a different word than shipping. <laughs> Jared had his his thumb right on the delay, right on the. Oh, delay. I I listen when. When I was on Cofield and Company uh, yesterday talking about this, like mentally, I I had an F ready to go, and then had to remind myself I was talking into a microphone and you know bring it back down. Uh, finally, I think Tyler made the best point yesterday. I think Goodman or, or Schaff should have said instead of gross, should have said the A's don't go there; they're going to be out of water anyway. Like that would have been okay. She's probably right about that. Uh, she absolutely would be <laughs> right about that. And also, if she wants to get into a Twitter war with Carolyn Goodman, Ooh, Goodman's maybe, strong. maybe use actual photos of Oakland. Maybe don't say, well, here's my comparison between our beautiful coastline and your gross desert. By first using a picture of Allegiant Stadium while it was still under construction. Yes. Uh, and then using... An artist's rendering of Oakland. It doesn't look like that. I can give you pretty pictures of what Vegas could look like, too. Stop it. The First Bite. The First Bite is currently unsponsored, so it is brought to you by the Unnecessary Roughness podcast over on Raider Nation Radio. How impressed were you with Tiger Woods yesterday? What do you think, buddy? What do you think? 71, four back. What, what what a round! What a round! What what? Well, give me your first thoughts. What did, I, I'm sure you watched some of it, if not all of it, and you saw well what we could see because it's now streaming on a uh, www something. But they did have the the uh, premier group, so they showed every shot of his. What what were your just your your immediate thoughts as you watched him play? I mean, it's remarkable that he's doing this in the first right. place, right? We read so much about that car accident that he had in Southern California and the fact that he nearly lost a leg. Um, you know. What's amazing to me about Tiger Woods is that he seems to have a threshold for pain that is very, very high. We saw him win the U.S. Open on one leg years ago, and we see him, frankly, look like someone who is not very comfortable moving around the golf course, right? Right. He he looks stiff. 
Um, that's just probably reality for what we get out of Tiger for the rest of his career. But it, the fact that he's out there competing at this level to me is the real story. Whether he wins, whether he doesn't win, I, I don't care at this point. The fact that he's out there in the first place is remarkable. And then the other piece, Ed, that you know gets my attention is that I seem to have kind of brought that folk hero status back for Tiger Woods mm-hmm. among the crowd, right? And, right? and and I'm a little I'm a little torn on that. A, a lot of Tiger's problems are self-inflicted. Uh but at the same time, if you just pull the view back to wow, this guy was in a car accident that could have either you know caused an amputation or killed him and here he is, it's pretty remarkable. Yeah, first tournament, uh seriously injured in the car crash in LA February 23rd of last year. Had not played in an official event since November 2020, tied for 38 at the Masters. That was a pushback because of COVID. Uh, Tiger, I'm as sore as I expected to feel, but it was amazing. Like I was telling my team all week, come game time, it'll be a different deal. My adrenaline will kick in. I'll get into my own little world and I'll get after it. It's about the training and that we've had the stamina to do. Uh, I'm just amazed he's getting around. And that's what, you know, before the tournament, I thought the ball striking would be okay. I thought he'd play okay. But he absolutely looks like now he'll have a limp maybe forever. And that's a six-mile course. And him trying to get around that thing, uh, I think, is going to be tough. Now, one under, he's a four back um, of a Sunjay M, who's at five under from the South Korean golfer. But I'll tell you what, Adam, uh, today, if he could get through today, I'll be very interested on the weekend because I, no matter what adrenaline says, his hip, his leg, I mean, that six-mile course, that's going to be thats going to be difficult. Let's say if he gets through the cut and he has to go all four days. Tyler said yesterday he'd be out in the first round. I thought – I didn't think he'd make the cut, first of all. I didn't think he'd make the cut. So he's going to have to play poorly right now to make the cut – or not to not to make the cut. And the other thing about it is that we haven't mentioned is it was raining all week. The par three got canceled in the middle of it. Storms, they're running off the course with the sirens. But it's going to dry up make that thing a lot tougher. So we'll have to see what he does now, but that's going to be a much difficult course as he's going to walk around. I just go back to the walking and if he's going to be able to do that on a consistent basis. I think what's going to benefit Tiger is the fact that it's going to be very windy. That's going to be the consistent feature of this course this weekend. And this is where local knowledge is going to come into effect. This is where being able to strike your irons with accuracy is going to come in and that's something the Tiger has in spades, right? It, the wind could either equalize this for a lot of players or separate it. And I think for Tiger, it's a separator. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. I mean, 20 to 30 mile an hour winds in the forecast today. Uh, Sun JM already gave back the stroke lead he had. Oh, did he? At the first. Okay, yeah. Okay. He, he, he bogeyed one, which is going to be a fairly consistent theme for a lot right. of players if that wind is up today. Uh, Cam Smith at four, and then a, a pretty pretty impressive group at three, including Dustin Johnson, Danny yep. Willett, uh, former champion, and and Joaquin Neiman, who played a great round yesterday. So I do think it's that that Tiger will hang around. And the thing is, if you think Tiger's not going to make the cut, then I just wonder. I don't think a Tiger who could miss the cut would play. I I think Tiger, if he felt as though he couldn't at least be within ten shots of the lead wouldn't be out there on the course. And Ed, maybe it's exactly what you said, where into mile number 11 and 12 of walking the course on 
Friday, he starts to feel it a little bit more and it doesn't go quite the same way. But part of the problem also Thursday, in his own words, was that he had a terrible warm up and he couldn't get loose. Yeah, he, so he I, said he had one of the worst warm ups he's had. He did. And, and it'll be really interesting to see what kind of adjustments he makes, what kind of adjustments his team makes in terms of his physical preparation. Uh, there, It might just be a matter of the fact that this is Tiger trying to compete at a high level for the first time since the car accident and is really feeling out what it's going to take for him to do that. So I, I agree that I, I think it's a lot of wear and tear for a guy who looks like he is feeling that wear and tear. But at the same time, you know, maybe there is something for him to learn from his own body after round one that he can adjust to. More Woods, if you would have seen how my leg looked and where it's now and the pictures, some of the guys know they've seen the pictures and they've come over to the house and they've seen it to see what I've been through to get from the here to there. It's no easy task. Um, I'm going to be sore. That's just the way it is. This is only one round. We've got three more to go. There's a long way to go and a lot of shots to be played. I'm really interested in what you said earlier, and I did never thought of that point about how his folk hero status has come back to a lot of people. Should we or do we have the right to be forgiving about uh, what happened with him, or is that just too personal and people are going to think what they want of him? Because I've got I, – I know people who, you know – uh, their opinion of him changed dramatically. I don't know if they've come back, but I think, you know, in the car crash, does he become somewhat sympathetic? Because, like you said, he could have been killed. He could have it could have led to an amputation. Um, it's weird how you know they go f- uh, full circle here, back to where he's almost he was almost sympathetic, and people are watching him now. We were in here the studio yesterday, watching every shot wanting him to play well, wanting him to make the cut. It's just so much better when he's good. But I love your love your point about, you know, is he folk heroes? Is he come back to that? Because in sports, as you know, this happens often. There'll be some transgressions with athletes, and all of a sudden something will happen or time will pass. And all of a sudden, I don't know if it's forgotten, but you want them to do so well. You kind of put that aside and bring it back to how you originally felt about him. I do think we have the capacity to forgive and to move on and frankly to forget. And I think the forget part is as prominent as the forgive part. When we get into the Tiger Woods story, we've known Tiger Woods air quotes known since he was 16 years old. I'm I'm picking that age out because that's the age that I think as an amateur golfer, we first got a real look at Tiger and we've known him for 30 years that way. And we've lived everything with him. We lived the unbelievable ascent as a very young man. We lived his father passing away. We lived the car accident, uh, number one. Right, number one. And then the car accident, number two, and everything with his ex-wife in between. So, you know, I think what we ultimately do with Tiger is we want to recapture what Tiger was as much as Tiger wants to recapture what Tiger was. And I think that's where the folk hero status comes in. We all remember what our youth was like watching Tiger Woods come up, and we want that back as much as Tiger wants that back. And the sport is far better when he's there as right. the attraction. No singular athlete matters more to his sport than than Tiger Woods does. So uh, I I struggle with it, quite honestly, Ed. I do. I uh-huh. struggle with what how I feel about a guy like Tiger. I, you know... I've talked about it a little bit on this show. I covered the tour for a few years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was at the Masters uh, the year of the chip uh, with Tiger. And, you know, the, in those days, Tiger was bulletproof and he acted like it. 
and you know i don't know what it's like to try to become tiger woods but i do know that for a lot of people he was above everything and so he doesn't seem that way as much anymore he really doesn't he he does seem like there has been as much of a level of humility put into tiger by life and circumstances and age as there ever could be because if you're tiger woods and you've known your whole life that you're a better golfer than everybody and you have that will to compete there's only going to be so much humility let me ask you this uh is this him coming back to prove something to himself and to everyone else that he can still play at a high level even after that accident how much do you think because i think when he like you said when he was bulletproof and winning everything it was about jack's record and you know that's all anyone talked about um how much does that play into this or is this him just saying i'm going to prove that i can do this i'm 46 um you know uh charlie's playing well you know he's playing with the, he's playing with his son now and he's, his life is different or do you think that still drives him if we judge based on what tiger said ed i think that this is about being a dad in the end uh, i do think there's some competitive drive involved and that the fact that all tiger woods knows is competing that's what earl drilled into him from a very young age he knows competition and he thrives on competition and i i you know he certainly seems to have adjusted you know uh, to life away from it by being forced to be for a long time but i think mm -hmm. this is about sam and charlie at this point i think this is about him showing that you can recover from something that you can fight through what he went through i think you know he probably feels vulnerable in a lot of ways right. that he never did I think he probably feels like you know life is more precious than than in the past and you know i think that he has a situation here where you know it's very hard to prove that sort of thing tangibly and you can when you have a life that's based on competition hot take what does he do what the uh, on sunday where is he i think tiger probably has a top 20 uh finish i i i just wonder physically if he's going to be able to hold up for four days based on what he looked like yesterday and the other thing we have to keep in mind is this isn't about just tiger versus the course as much as that is usually what golf is about right like right. there are this there are a number of golfers who who've obviously just in terms of skill level long since passed tiger woods they can afford more mistakes than tiger can so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out over the weekend i think he makes the cut i think he's in the in the mix but i don't think he's at the very top Great stuff there. It's Ed, Adam, and Jared. All right, when we come back, quick question. Is 82 games too much for the NBA? Talk about it next. This is The Press Box with Grady and Bischoff. Featuring Adam Candy. Back on a Friday. Padres into the ninth last night. 2-0 lose 4-2. That's a shame. Starting out well. Hey, 945 segment. That's the, 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 we, oh, okay. All right, good. I love that. Starting out well. Uh, Adam, NBA Commissioner Adam Silver is focused on examining trend of star players not participating in full complement of games. Let me read what he said. I'm not standing here saying I have a great solution. Part of the issue is injuries. One of the things we have focused on the league office and we're spending, we began to spend a lot of times on pre-pandemic are the things we can do in terms of sharing information, resources around the league to improve the best practices. Um, one of the things he said to get these guys to perform more, to play more, and I don't, I'd like your thoughts on this because I don't know if this is actually going to, do any good we know what they've done with the expansion of the playoffs and the play-in games he wants also maybe a in-season tournament uh i don't know if an in-season tournament is going to um 
you know, ignite LeBron James's fire if, in fact, he thinks he's injured and just doesn't want to play. And I, I have to wonder how much of Adam Silver is talking about entertainment versus how much Adam Silver is talking about the science of the sport. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the two things that are going to be opposed forever with this. It's an entertainment product, but with as much money as is involved and as optimized as the athletes are these days with how they eat, when they sleep, how it's all tracked, you know, it's down to the minute with these guys. So how do you balance those two things? Because you absolutely want the best quality out of that entertainment product, but it's becoming a zero-sum game, right? You're not getting a lot of guys playing at 50%, at 60%. You're getting guys sitting in a lot of those situations and resting up for the playoffs. And here's the tricky part. Everything we see in labor negotiations, look at Major League Baseball this past time, shows you that all the owners really care about is the playoffs. Right. So how do we balance this? How do we balance the fact that, yes, you still have to throw the doors of your arena open 41 times and have people come out to watch the games. But at the same time, for TV purposes, which is really what matters, you don't want to dilute the best thing you have, which is the NBA playoffs. So I don't know. Do you think that there's a, a, a solution to this we haven't thought about? I mean, not, I, I agree with everything you just said. I don't, and I agree with Silver. He says there's not a great solution. I just think when he talks about, and I didn't go down the road of what you just said to where it is entertainment, these in-season tournaments, um, I, I just don't think that would you know, inspire many of the people he's talking about who sit out. Um, are they taking load management beyond what they should? And the other thing is, you know, it's a slippery slope and a fine line to say he's not injured. Um, and then just take LeBron for a case. Now, I think he shut down because it was over and they didn't make the playoffs. I mean, I, he might have been able to go. I actually thought with two, you know, he needed two games to get the scoring title. I would not have been shocked if he came back because it's LeBron. I'm with you in that, you know, it might be for entertainment issue. I just don't know how you can convince these guys, whether it's load management like Kawhi used to do, or now LeBron, who says he's hurt, AD, he's always hurt, to play more games. Is and, and we talked about this. They're finely tuned athletes now uh, between the diet, the exercise, the lifting, all these things these guys do. But they're going to come back and tell you that 82 games is too much, that it's too much wear and tear on their bodies, that they could get away with a lot less games and still give the product. And like you said, with the owners, make the playoffs the most important thing because that's all they care about anyway. Let, what If it's not 82 what in your mind would be a good number, a fair number, with what these guys are saying about their bodies, and it doesn't really matter anyway because all that matters is the playoffs? That's hard. If you pick an arbitrary number out of thin air, they're going to find a way to work around it. it. And then what happens when a guy does actually have a legitimate medical excuse and there's some sort of argument over you know, whether the team is jaking it when it comes to telling you whether that player is really healthy right it's it's really hard to to get your head around and they've already tried right we know that the nba has rules they are very rarely enforced where they can find a hundred thousand dollars if you sit a player who is healthy for a national tv game or a road game without what is deemed a you know a real excuse essentially right so I think this is Adam Silver kind of priming everybody for the fact that we're going to have to have this discussion at some point. But I'm going to tell you what, Ed, that time ain't right now, because what we're coming off is the bubble, which screwed up everybody's everything. Right. And then the fact that the bubble led into the previous regular season where it was like almost no off time at all. 
So right now, I don't think is the time to get too deep into this fight with the Players Association when we're finally having our first real-time regular season with an offseason in a long time. How about fans? Give me the fans' perspective on this because, you know, maybe you go see LeBron one time in your life. I've got a kid at home who, you know, just wants to see the king one time in his life uh, in person. And, you know, you never know if he's going to show up or not uh, on a given night. Um, Should fans be upset, you know, whether it's the load management, whether they're not playing enough? Yeah. You know what? Let me give you an example from from the NHL. I'm a New Jersey Devils fan, and – the Devils' uh, trip to Vegas is not until April 18th, so right. two Mondays from now. Uh, for the first time in a while, they at least had enough young talent that I was like, yeah, you know what? I think I might go to this one as a fan. Like, I might just go go and buy a ticket. And then Jack Hughes got hurt, yep. and Jack Hughes isn't going to play. And that changed my whole perspective on it. I don't know that I'm going to go buy a ticket to that game now. So I understand where fans are coming from, when, if you, especially if it's a road team, where you have your whole season built up on I want to player but it can't just be about the one player when it comes to the NBA right like that would be sacrificing you know the good of the whole for the good of the one right if you want to see LeBron I get it but that doesn't mean that Kevin Durant isn't coming that doesn't mean that James Harden isn't coming Joel Embiid Nikola Jokic etc like you might have to adjust when it comes to that when it comes to the NBA making decisions when it comes to you know, billions of dollars in TV rights contracts before anything else. So did you just use a term from like 1913 to describe loafing? Because I had never heard the term jaking it until recently. And apparently it's named after a guy who played in 1908. So it's even older than 1913, Jared. Yeah, I, you know, I, I am nothing if not culturally relevant at all times. <laughs> And by the way, on this show, I am I'm still the most culturally relevant. Oh, I mean that's, that's that is fair. That's not saying much though. The best part I mean, is apparently I don't know one ah. band in America. <laughs> you know Drake? I do know um, Drake. Apparently, the guy who it's named after is named Garland Stahl. His nickname was Jake. Like, and, and how do you get Jake from Garland? <laughs> I I don't know, but let me ask you another question. What do we know about Garland? Uh, he had a 12-year career where he played for the Boston Red Sox, the Washington Senators, and the New York Highlanders. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, and, and people say you don't get the stats and information when Tyler's not here. Yes. Well, we're going to get a lot, I'm sure. I can't wait for the numbers and candies, chonies. I mean, I, I, it's just going to be at another segment where I have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about. That's going to be fun. All right, when we come back, Ben Brown, Pro Football Focus. He's on deck. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler featuring Adam Candy. Pleased to be joined now from Pro Football Focus. It's Ben Brown. Follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Ben Brown. Hi, Ben. How are you? I'm doing I'm doing pretty well getting ready for draft season coming up yeah. quickly so can't complain. Uh before we get to that, the Raiders ever going to sign Derek Carr? I mean, I I I would like to see them, you know, kind of I like I don't mind the wait and see approach, right? I do think this is kind of an all-in year. Um not sure what they would do if they don't actually sign to a long-term extension, but I do I don't mind waiting because I do think the market 
Although it's not going to improve dramatically from the Raiders' point of view, uh, they'll at least have some more information if they end up waiting on Derek Carr extension. I mean, McDaniel said we're waiting for the sweet spot, and people just take that to mean Derek Carr wants 40, they're going to give 30. Why isn't the sweet spot 35? But I I have a feeling, and I don't know what your thoughts are. I'd like to know your thoughts. I don't even think it's the money. I think it's the term. You know, Nick Mullins obviously isn't the guy, but McDaniel said they might draft a quarterback and, and groom him. I just think it might be the term, and Derek Carr wants four to five years, and I don't think they're sold on Derek Carr for four to five years. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's obviously a long-term commitment. They did make, you know, that uh, similar time frame with, you know, uh, Devontae Adams, but I do think that the length of the contract and also the guaranteed money is the big holdup mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. We have seen quarterbacks get, you know, a ton of that uh, guaranteed money up front. Uh, maybe the Raiders don't necessarily want to go in that direction either, but, yeah, there's obviously some things. Uh, I do think $35 million makes a lot of sense right now, 33 to $35 million for Derek Carr if the Raiders can land on that. Uh, I think that's a win from their perspective. But if they get up into that $40 million range, given uh, you know the potential guarantees included, it's, it, 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 it's asking a lot for Derek, from Derek Carr's performance for the length of that contract, I would say. And it's also term-wise, if you go beyond three years, which is the, the real length of the Devontae Adams contract if you get down to it, you know, you're committing to Derek Carr beyond the rest of that core. You still have to take care of, in theory, Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro uh, as well, if those are the guys that you want to keep together. So who knows what the Raiders might do in terms of the draft, and that's where you've been focusing a lot of your attention, Ben. Uh, you have an article up at pff.com right now with some of your post-free agency best bets in the draft. What stood out to you thus far in terms of opportunities for that? Yeah, definitely. I do think that, you know, we saw Derek Stingley, of course, running his pro day today, 4.37. I had him uh, to go in the top 10 at plus 140 on DraftKings uh, late last week. That's moved to minus 120. Now I do still think uh, we're going to see him land uh, in the top 10, probably at 8 or 9 overall. Uh, I do think makes a lot of sense. Seattle's obviously been known to, uh, you know, love the cornerback position with Pete Carroll at the helm. So I do think him going at 9 uh, to Seattle, maybe even 10 to the New York Jets, uh, makes a lot of sense as well. Uh, and outside of that, I think if you uh, expect, you know, a guy like Ahmad Sass Gardner to go under 8.5 uh, draft picks, which he is, you know, heavily priced in that direction right now, I do think we're going to see over 4.5 cornerbacks go. Uh, we'll probably see a run on that. If those two guys land in the top 10, um, I do think that we're going to see at least three or four kind of to round out that first round as well. So I do think that's still probably uh, the best bet on the board is, cornerbacks uh, over 4.5 at like a plus 120 price. I do think that's the spot that uh, people should really be targeting right now for the NFL draft props. So you can see four to five going in the first round? Yeah, I think there's going to be what? five cornerbacks going in the first round. Um, that's kind of our projection right now. That's kind of where we see, um, you know, the big board, uh, our personal big board play out. And then with given positional value, given how much we value the cornerback position, uh, I think a lot of teams at the end of the first round are going to be looking at some of those guys, you know, pick 29, 30, and 31 range. So I'm looking at the article right now, Ben, and here's a conclusion that I think I'm drawing, but I need you to tell me whether I'm right. Uh, best bets from early March included uh, Malik Willis to be the first quarterback selected, minus 170. That's moved uh, to where you got value on the 170 if you did. Uh, Brees Hall is the first running back. That's moved as well, as has Jamison Williams as the first wide receiver now you have Kayvon Thibodeau for second overall pick at 12 to 1 uh, team to select Malik Willis Houston Texans 16 to 1 Stingley plus 140 as you mentioned has already moved the common thread that I'm seeing here is NFL teams potentially falling in love with athleticism 
right? Falling in love right. with measurables uh, more than anything else. Is that kind of what, what you're kind of banking on here a bit with some of these? Yeah, I definitely think that is, you know, to a certain extent we have seen some of these workout type warriors, uh, you know, go higher in the draft and a, lot of, and a lot of times than what we would expect. But I do think there's this uh, element of, uh, you know, the ceiling outcome performances for some of those guys. So I'm focusing more on, you know, the guys that I think can be clear differentiators at their position. And I do think, you know, kind of all those guys fit that bill. Obviously, uh, they might not live up to that sort of ceiling outcome, but, uh, I given given the potential of all those players, I do I don't mind uh, thinking that a team is probably going to roll the dice and take a chance on them. I, I want to ask you um, because this is one draft where usually it's like, hey, the number one overall pick, you know who it is. Um, Aiden Hutchinson is is he a slam dunk? And and can you try to tra- can you try to translate what you think he'd be at the NFL level? I read things where it's like it's not from uh, far from a slam dunk. They're keeping their options open. Because you don't hear, you know, usually in drafts like this guy's Auburn Mac number one. He's the he's the best player in the draft. It doesn't seem like there's that feeling, you know, in a lot of places. Is that true? Yeah, I do, and I I do definitely agree with that. And I do think that uh, he's kind of the opposite of the prospect that we just talked about, right? Like I think he's a really high floor guy. Uh, there's basically not necessarily a complete lock that he's not going to be a bust, uh, but he has, you know, all the. All the, all the pieces in place, I think, to be a really good edge rusher in the NFL. The question the question is, is you know, how high is his ceiling? Is he a guy like Joey Bosa? I don't think that uh, we necessarily project him to be as good as Joey Bosa uh, has been at the start of his NFL career. So I do think falling just a little bit short of that uh, and not necessarily getting that much upside at the number one overall pick, I do think that's kind of where uh, the question marks have come in. Uh, with Aiden Hutchinson, because I do think that he's going to be, you know, a really sound, strong edge rusher. Uh, it's just, is he going to be a superstar at the position? I, I think he's probably just a little bit lower than some of the top-end guys that we've seen drafted, you know, in the first, second, or third overall picks here the last couple of years. So there's your discussion of the first overall pick. I want to dig in with you a little bit on the second overall pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, 12-1 to 1 is obviously a very nice price on Kayvon Thibodeau, who guy who you know, for many months uh, this season was listed at the very top of everyone's mock drafts and big boards. Uh, but the Lions are in an interesting situation here because they have, and I'm going to use air quotes on this, a quarterback uh, with Jared Goff. They could draft Malik Willis. They could draft Kayvon Thibodeau. They could, you know, go to Trayvon Walker. I mean, they could go any number of directions. How do you pick out the value on Thibodeau at 12 to 1 there? Yeah, definitely. I do think it was mainly uh, just based on the fact that, you know, I think Trayvon Walker had probably moved too much. Uh, and there is still this uh, mentality kind of like we just touched on that Aiden Hutchinson is the clear cut number one favorite. So there is some, you know, uh, implied probability with him going second overall as opposed to first overall as well. Uh, and, and like you said, Kayvon Thibodeau has been a guy that uh, maybe didn't exceed expectations in 2021, but has definitely flashed uh, throughout his career at Oregon and kind of has shown uh, the ability more so than Aiden Hutchinson to be an absolute uh, game breaker at that edge rushing position has a lot of you know tricks up his sleeve as far as uh, pass rush win pass rush moves and things like that that can actually get him to the quarterback on some of those quick pressure situations. So I think you know the reasons that he has been knocked aren't necessarily justified. So that actually be able to kind of buy low on him uh, at like a plus twelve hundred price made a lot of sense at that time. And I do think uh, the market kind of. Uh, corrected over the past week. I think he's more close to like plus 400, uh, plus 500 on DraftKings right now. So uh, I do think that a lot of people have maybe 
overstated or overblowing uh, some of the concerns maybe with him not caring about football or not necessarily being uh, or giving 100% of all those plays. And I do think that's just uh, way overstated. And I do think that he is probably the most talented edge rusher in this class. And I do think that him landing uh, at number two with a guy like Dan Campbell uh, makes a lot of sense from you know his ability to actually coach Coach Kayvon Thibodeau up quite a bit. It's Ben Brown from Pro Football Focus. Follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Ben Brown. I want to ask you, uh, a colleague of mine does a mock draft. He does actually a pretty good job uh, for weekly starting a month out. He threw out something last week that put uh, the Raiders fans completely out of their minds here. Not a, uh, not a surprise because you say anything negative about the Raiders, they're nuts. Um, but he actually had late, ten, late first round Tennessee trading for Darren Waller and he put out there what the value was in Darren Waller. We talked about this earlier in the week. He's going to be thirty. He's going to want to. He's going to want a big extension. He's got two years left, but he's going to want more money. Is Darren Waller worth a first round pick at this point in his career? I mean, that's that's really close. Right? I think you know, without any sort of extension on his contract or anything, I think it would be really hard to get a first round draft pick mm-hmm. for him, even a Who late first round draft pick. Um, I do think he'd probably be you know closer to a mid. Mid 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 tier second round uh, draft pick makes a lot of sense given the current state. You know, like you said, uh, thirty years old already. Um, you know, kind of heading into it, had, had maybe a little bit of a late jump to his career. Uh, so I think that's one reason why uh, people might have been you know a little bit lower on him from a tight end perspective than some of the other top end guys. I do think yeah. that he's definitely capable of that production, but. Um, yeah, I, I think more of a mid-tier second-round pick makes a lot more sense for Darren Waller, given the current state of his contract uh, and everything, and all other factors included. Well, he is Ben Brown from Pro Football Focus. Again, follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Ben Brown. Does an incredible job. Get all the odds in the draft, what he thinks is going to happen coming up uh, in late April. Ben, we appreciate it. Talk to you next week. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Have a Thanks, great show. You too. Um, yeah. Before we go, do you think Darren Waller? We, we we went over last week. I don't know if he's worth a one at this point in his career. I think you can get someone to pay a one okay. for Darren Waller because the level he's at is still elite. Um, I think if you had the right situation, that Darren Waller gets a first round pick, and here's why: because we just saw a guy like Mike Kosicki get franchised in <laughs> uh, in Miami. Mm-hmm. The market for franchising a, a tight end, the market for paying a tight end is not nearly the same as the market for paying a wide receiver. So I think when you're looking at extension for a guy like Darren Waller, you're not looking at it at the same level as Devontae Adams. So maybe you'd be willing to spend that one. Good stuff there. When we come back, you like it, you know it, you love it. It's Jared's Dumb Questions. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff featuring Adam Candy. That was Joey Votto. We're going to get to him more at the top of the hour at 8 o'clock. Probably but, replayed uh, the sound. Yeah. Uh, what are you going to do? Uh, but now, we, we all wait for this, Adam Candy. This is uh, one of the better segments on the show. It's Jared's Dumb Questions here at 745 on a Friday. What do you got for us to start, buddy? Okay, so yesterday I was uh, training a person on another show, but I have a family group chat. And the family group chat suddenly gets like 12 messages while I'm training this person. So I'm like, oh, God, something's something's wrong. Well, it turns out what had happened was my sister was at opening day for the Royals. And at the top of the or at the bottom of the second inning, Carlos Santana hit a foul ball that struck a fan. That fan would happen to be my sister. No. So 
I spent the better part of two to four, two, two and a half to three hours trying to find some sort of call, whether it be radio, television, the away team, the home team, of because I found the video, I could clearly see my sister. I mean, they don't zoom in, but I'm like, I can recognize her from across the room getting struck by a baseball. Where'd she get hit? Uh, she got hit in the like in the shoulder, and it bounced up, and some oh. guy like went. And, so she didn't even get the foul ball out of it. But so it's a two part question. The first question is, what is the continual like unwritten rule of attending a sports like game? Do you guys constantly break, such as looking at your phone while the while the like the ball is in play? Or, and then on top of that, what is the dumbest, like, the, the most amount of time you have spent to try to embarrass one of your family members? Adam, you want to take it? I'm going to take the first part because I actually just managed to do this a couple of nights ago. Uh, the unwritten rule that I break happens to be most often when I'm in the press box for the Golden Knights. And that is, I have the world's most amazing ability to look down at my computer when something good is about to happen. It's just anything interesting at the hockey game. And I tell myself over and over again, when the puck is live, don't look at your computer. When the puck is live, look up. And then I will put my head down for one second to like look at a text message that come in, comes in, and I hear the crowd either roar for someone getting destroyed on a hit or a goal. or and I always And then it happens, and I hear the roar, and I think, you idiots, you knew. Stop looking down. I'm trying to, and here's my problem with this, and it shouldn't be a problem, but it is a problem. I'm trying to think the last time I was able to go to a sporting event just as a fan. I mean, that is that is a that's a hard life to live. No, I know. It's, I, I, you know what I mean, though. It's it, I I wanted to do more of that, um, but with the job. So I'm trying to think the last time I was with my family that I tried to embarrass. I mean, I tried to embarrass them a lot of places, but. The, the, the sporting event hasn't happened very much. Um, the rules I break are the phone. You're just well, a- I, I break that in the press box, which is probably a, a time I should be paying attention, given I'm writing about things. Uh, but I break the I break. I'm going to go with the first one with Adam as well. I break the rule of the phone. I, I, I'm always texting or watching or listening to something on the phone. All right. I mean, genuinely, it was a like. I mean, did you, have, have you make named, sure she was okay before you decided to find all the uh, all the, no, the clips th- in the video? It was a it was hey, I got hit by a foul ball, and all the follow ups were when when did it happen? When did it happen? I knew like Jared, get the video, get the video. <laughs> we are going to if we could if we possibly could we would have that on like ultra four K at Thanksgiving. All right, everybody, the football games are over. Time to watch Casey get hit in the head with, with a foul ball. Hit the shoulder and bounced up. She got hit pretty hard. Well, she got hit and bounced up, and then some guy was like, souvenir! Yeah, she wanted the ball. Didn't care about her. And meanwhile, uh, the best part is her husband is sitting next to her. He is also on his phone. He does not move. Was she on the phone? Yes, that is the rule. Like, you got to, whatever you, you pay attention enough that, oh, here's the windup. I better be looking. Because the bat could come flying into the right. <laughs> into the crowd, let alone the ball is likely to come into the crowd. My next dumb question was inspired by uh, we had Jermaine Lowen on 
Yes. Early, uh, earlier, earlier in the week. And one of the fascinating things that I learned about him was he did not know how to skate backwards until he was like 12, which is really old for a Canadian. Well, not only for a Canadian, for a guy who's now in the <laughs> AHL. Yeah, for someone who's now played to play hockey, what is a useful skill that you learned that you're like, wow, I should have known how to do this a really long time ago? Oh, Ed, you go first. I have to think about this. Uh, well, I mean, using the uh, doing the pool equipment because usually it wasn't me, it was her. And then finally she said, you need to do the pool because, uh, you know, we're not paying the pool people. Come on, Greenspan. <laughs> no chance. We're, we're doing all our own pool equipment. So taking the filters out without blowing my face up uh, because of the pressure, the pressure valve, and I'm, all, I'm still scared about it. I'm still, like, backing up as I try to twist that thing off because if you don't relieve the pressure, I won't be in the next day. I'll be calling in, and it, it'll uh, it'll be Adam uh, coming in the next day for sure because there's no chance I'm here. So I think understanding the pool equipment to to uh, not kill myself, that was a skill I should have probably known before I did. Okay, I thought about this for a second. I think it happened right at the beginning of the pandemic, and it was... The birthday of the woman I was seeing at the time, and I wasn't about to go out to a store to get a cake, and I'm like, I guess I got to make one. Um, and <laughs> I thought, I'm going to make a cake from scratch. Like, no mix, no nothing. Like, I, this might be hard. This might. It wasn't nearly as hard as I thought it was going to be. It really, like, I thought, oh, I'm not using a mix. I'm not, like, I'm just going to follow a recipe. And it came out, and I'm like, that's really good. I thought, oh, crap. That's really good. Now I know I can make my own cake whenever I want to. That's terrible. I'm going to get fat. <laughs> well, it's too bad. Yeah, exactly. And now you're going to have to. Well, you said one. you were one time seeing her, so you don't have to ba- make her any cookies or anything. Oh, like no. Oh, oh, no, no. I mean, listen, she's yeah. a lovely human being. She could pay me to make a cake for her at this point, but that is no longer part of uh, that is no longer part of our arrangement. <laughs> I do peanut butter and jelly and, and chips. It's pretty much where I stand. <laughs> 